Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going through our Bible study of uh, 2 Corinthians, but we always usually start the program with a little bit of information about what's going on in the news, because one of the problems of the good news today is that people are taking the good news or the the information that it's in the Bible out of the context of the particular time that the Bible is being written. And the stories in the Bible are being written about. They're taking them out of the context of that reality. And then they can repaint another picture of reality that is contrary to what the authors intended to communicate to you by writing these words down. Now, the Bible is uh, assumedly a book that is inspired. Now, people will argue that, but you really can't argue it. There is no argument. It's speculation Uh, because of the fact you don't know if the individual, all the individuals who wrote in the Bible are gone. They're not here. Their claim that they were inspired is, is mute because of the fact that you can't prove one way or the other. It's beyond your scope of rational reasoning. Everything is going to be the result of assumptions on your part. Because you weren't there when they wrote it. You don't know what they were experiencing. We assume, many of us, that they were inspired. I can agree with that. I can also agree with the fact that the translators who translated the Bible are not always inspired. And the people who try to interpret it and tell you what it means may also not be inspired. They might be. But they might not be. We would have to draw that conclusion because they contradict each other. And then there's the question of inspired by whom. So all these are factors in reading the Bible and trying to understand what it says. But the most important thing to comprehend is that the author may have been inspired, but the reader may not be. If you're not inspired by God as you read the Bible, you're probably not going to get it, or at least some aspects of it. So we talk a lot about history. We talk a lot about what's going on at that time and what's going on at this time so that you can, from this point, look back at that time and understand what they were trying to communicate. We don't believe that you will understand simply by our explanation. We believe that you will only really understand by revelation. You know, in the beginning of the Bible, it talks about Adam knew Eve and they begat a child. Well, obviously, knowing Eve was not simply knowing her name and talking with her and having a conversation. It was an intimate reaction that created the offspring of Adam and Eve. 
So to know God is not simply to know about God, to have information about God, to believe in that information about God, but to actually have a relationship with that God. So how do you know you're having a relationship with God and not something else? I mean, it says in the Bible that Satan can appear as an angel of light. So you could be fooled, and, and Christ talks about the fact that many will be fooled, and many will fool others. And they talk about false Christ, and believing in false Christ, or preaching any other Christ than the Christ that I am preaching, when Paul talks. So, who is Christ? Who is Jesus? What is the message? If he is one with God, what is the message of God in the Bible. And of course, the Bible has two witnesses, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we are told to love our neighbor as ourself. In the New Testament, we are told to love our neighbor as ourself. In the Old Testament, we are told to keep the commandments. The New Testament, we are told to keep the commandments. And we are even told that if you love Christ... You will keep the commandments. Uh, easy, rational assumption to make from those statements is that if you're not keeping the commandments, you don't love the real Jesus. You may love an image of Jesus created in your mind, but it may not be the real Jesus. Many, many, many times in the New Testament, they warn you to check out your faith to find out if your faith is real or if your faith is dead. Like like James says, faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. It's fake faith. Just like we hear about fake news. So anyway, I was going to talk to you about the news. So that's setting the scene of the good news. What is the good news? That it may not be what you think it is. It may be something different. But when I was looking at different news stories this week, I was thinking, you know, that I wanted to use some of these at the beginning of uh, our broadcast today. But uh, I, I, I just put down the heading in my notes, news. But... What we should really be talking about today is irrational news. Because there's a lot of irrational news out there. That fake news is irrational news. It's based on facts or misinformation or incomplete facts. And somehow they come to conclusions. And that's the irrational news that comes to false conclusions. And eventually we'll have a program on reason so you can start seeing some of these fallacies uh, that are commonly uh, spread amongst the people as if they are true and they are simply not true and there's a reason they're not true and sometimes that rational reason is obvious and sometimes it's more subtle and of course that's what Satan is referred to in the Bible as being this subtle creature so anyway, in uh, in my notes about irrational news, one of the stories I just read, the last story I just read was somebody posted a study that was a soil study that confirmed that the 1943 Bengal famines in India was caused by Winston Churchill's policies and not by drought. Well, that's the headline. So 
That sounds like Winston Churchill was trying to kill millions of people in Bengal uh, during a famine by policies he knew was going to be killing these people. Not the case. That's not what the... If you read the actual article and not just stop at the headline. Headlines are like clickbait. They're trying to get you to read them. And they're appealing to often to emotional reactions in the people. And many headlines are actually flat-out lies when you read the actual content of what's going on. What what it was, 1943, the environment at that time was world war. There was battles going on in in all over the world. And millions and millions of troops were... And supporters to those troops were try, they were rationing in Great Britain. People couldn't buy lots of different kinds of food. Some of that rationing went on for decades after the war. Because you, food was hard to come by. Some places people were starving. And people did starve during 1943 and 44 in the Bengal famine. But what most people don't realize is it appears from the statistics that I've seen over the years going way back, you know, I was looking at these statistics even back in the 1960s, that India has always produced enough food to feed everybody in India. There have never been a shortage of food in India. There have been shortages in areas of India, but India itself always had enough food to feed the people. During the 50s and 60s when the United States was sending huge amounts of grain to India to feed the poor, India was actually exporting grain. Because the problem in India, it isn't Winston Churchill, and what that the claim against Winston Churchill was that he was, instead of sending food, emergency aid to the starving people of Bengal, he sent it to troops. Because he knew if those troops ran short of food and there were all kinds of people out there working at battle instead of working at farming and working at producing food. And so he was feeding the troops. He was also feeding people who uh, whose uh, economies had been disrupted by the war. And so some food was that could have been shipped to India... And often had been, because India was always having these so-called shortages, wasn't being shipped. So it really wasn't Winston Churchill trying to starve one group of people, but was trying to feed another group of people that he was responsible for. And those people were also in the process, supposedly, uh, protecting the world from the democratic socialism of Nazis invading one country after another. And so they were fighting the war. And so the food went to the war effort. It wasn't about uh, starving the people in Bengal. There was probably enough food, or apparently enough food in India at that time to feed all those people. But what was killing the people in India was the caste system. Because, and greed, just flat out greed. People who had produced all kinds of extra grain wanted to sell it on the open market, even selling it abroad, probably even selling it to some of the people in, uh, like Winston Churchill if they could, although that particular year they probably didn't. But they were selling it 
rather than sharing it with the people that were starving in Bengal. There had been droughts. There had been a number of uh, droughts that had caused uh, famines. But in that particular year, it wasn't the drought that caused the famine. It was the shortage in a particular area amongst a particular class or caste of people. And the people who had did not want to share. All during the time, like I said, when we were sending food aid to India, people in India were exporting food abroad. So it's selfishness that killed those people. And their unwillingness to come together in mutual love and uh, national community. And so that's very important in the message of Paul because that's what Paul was doing. Paul was sharing those what what from uh, the offerings of people who had with the people who did not have enough. This is what church was all about. This was what religion was all about, was learning to share. This is what the loaves and the fishes were all about, is learning to share with one another. Learning to love your neighbor as yourself. To care about your neighbor, even though he's in a different caste system, as much as you care about yourself. You hadn't learned that. Still haven't learned that all over India. Some people have learned it. Some people have not. And the the number of people who have not learned that lesson is the problem. Because they're the ones that are going to create an irrational demand upon society and try to force the contributions of society in order to provide for the needy of society. Which causes society to become perfect savages. According to Polybius, ruins them according to Plutarch is against the teachings of God according to John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and Paul the Apostle. If you want your society to prosper and be free, you have to learn that lesson. And that was the message of the gospel. Somehow or other, people think religion is what you think about God. That changed from the definition of religion 200 years ago was your the performance of your duty. To God and also to fellow man. Your duty to God is to love your fellow man and to love God. What is God? God is the creator of life. You have to love creating life. How many people love to create something, to make something, to produce something? If you're not uh, engaged in the process of creating and giving and sharing life with others you're likely to suffer depression. And the pharmaceutical world of modern medicine would be glad to drug you up so that you do not feel that depression. But you may have suicidal thoughts. You may want to kill yourself. You may damage your health in other ways. But they will give you the drugs to take care of your depression. When the real solution for your depression is to start learning to care about others as much as you care about yourself. But anyway, there were a few other items in the news. We have this impeachment uh, hearings going on in America. Uh, there was a New York public school that rejected student Christian club from forming. They didn't allow the 
the student Christians to form a, a club, but they did allow the LGBT Pride Club to form. Why did they bar the Christian club? I just read a story just seconds before I came on the air of uh, a sheriff that received a letter from Freedom of Religion Foundation or some some institution along that line who was encouraging him or desiring him to stop asking for prayer every time there's a uh, disastrous or catastrophic or uh, injurious event in his jurisdiction, he often calls for prayer. And they want him to stop doing that. He was announcing that he is not going to stop doing that. Because freedom from religion is people who want to be free from your opinion about God. None of which has anything to do with religion or very little to do with religion because religion is your pious performance of your duty to God. The people who are atheists who want to start organizations freedom from religion, define religion as what you think about God. They want to be free from what you think about God. But if religion is the pious performance of your duty to your fellow man, as well as to God, then I want to be free of their socialist programs that force me to contribute to their licentiousness. That forces me to pay for abortions. That forces me to uh, pay for lazy, loafing, irresponsible people who want to get on welfare. Now, I'm sure there are people on welfare that need help. Well, we all know there are lazy, irresponsible, selfish people on welfare that should be compelled to work to get their daily bread. They should not be given license to be slothful. And that's what happens in a society where you make a rule where you have to contribute to the welfare of others. There's a law that they're trying to pass in Portland that makes it a law that private property owners must create rest areas on their property for the homeless. Now, I'm pretty sure the gated communities of the people voting for such ridiculous laws... uh, don't allow the homeless to come in and live inside their gated community. <laughs> but, but see, this is part of that irrational news. They, they don't want to see all the facts. They don't want to see the whole truth and come to a rational conclusion. They want to exclude facts. And you see this and they want to exclude speech and they want to, you know, the, you know, like, uh, for instance, uh, supposedly this administration, which is the Trump administration at the time of this recording, uh, not my administration. My administration is a ministration of faith, hope, and charity. But in the United States administration, supposedly was caging sh- illegal immigrant children. And we saw pictures of illegal immigrant children. The actual pictures were taken during the Obama administration. And a study just recently came out that the Obama administration had more kids detained than the Trump administration, even though illegal immigration was up during part of the Trump administration. It's actually, I think, down a little bit. It's still uh, excessive, but I'm not sure exactly where it's at. And I watched a video and shared it last night on uh, Facebook or yesterday on Facebook showing Obama... Uh, Pelosi, uh, Schumer, and, uh, 
Clinton all stating that we need to secure our borders. We can't just allow people to cross the borders without knowing who they are with, you know, illegal immigration, warning against sending unaccompanied children across the border. But the reality is, is that continues to go on. Thousands of people are injured. Thousands, uh, probably many over the years, thousands have died. Uh, and it's because we have this irresponsible, partly because we have this irresponsible position of just leaving open borders. We we would not need a wall to close off those borders if we stopped the religion of those who want to have freedom from religion. Because they have a religion. Again, go back to that definition. Religion is the performance of your duty to your fellow man, at least in part. They perform their duty to their fellow man, to the homeless, to the hungry, by forcing the contributions of their neighbor and then putting it into a treasury of the government and the government redistributes those funds by giving them bread and food stamps and what have you. And that's their religion. That's why I quote the uh, guy who said, Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. See, if you realize that religion was how you took care of the needy of your society, and pure religion was to do it without the force and power of the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. If you understood that that's what religion was, a lot of people going to church are not practicing religion at all. They're actually engaged in public religion which the Christians were persecuted for not engaging in back in the first and second centuries. They would not sign up for public religion. Public religion was when the government forced the contributions of the people, borrowed money against the future of the people, and provided free bread for the people. The Christians would not eat at that table. They would only get their bread from people like Paul and other Christian ministers who were receiving free will contributions in the form of charity, and they were rightly dividing that bread from house to house. This is Christianity. This is basically Christianity 101. Most Christians are not engaged in that. They're actually engaged in going to men, to the governments of the nations, and applying to those governments for free bread, for welfare, for Medicare, for Medicaid, even though they know those men are not actually providing you with anything except what they took away from your neighbor by exercising authority one over the other. In direct contradiction to the commands of Christ. So we see this irrational behavior of people thinking they are Christians but not actually pursuing the kingdom of God, which operates by faith, hope, and charity. Does not operate by force. So, this is going on in the news daily, but people don't see it. They think they see the good news, but they are simply emotionalized to believe a lie. We'll be right back. Well, we started off the show with a bang, showing you some of the 
fallacies and falsehoods of modern religion, the modern Christianity even, because many of the people who think they are Christians and are actually modern Christians, and modern Christians are engaged in illicit behavior because they're engaged in covetous practices of taking from their neighbor to men who exercise authority so that they can receive their free bread instead of saying the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, not Our Father who art in Rome or Our, our Father who art in Washington, D.C. Or, or Sydney, Australia or wherever. We're not praying to that Father. Real Christians don't pray to that Father for their daily bread because they know that Father can only give them bread that He has because He exercises authority one over the other. And Christ forbid us to do that. So I'm a whistleblower for Christ exposing the illicit behavior. You know what a whistleblower is? A whistleblower, here's the definition, a person who informs on a person or organization engaged in an illicit activity. Well, it is an illicit activity to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. You cannot desire such wages of unrighteousness, such rewards of unrighteousness. We have articles by the same name, Wages of Unrighteousness at Preparing You, which you can read, that shows you the meaning of those words that you find in the Bible. And so... We're whistleblowers saying that if you don't understand what these things mean, you may not understand the gospel. And the idea that you think you are saved may be a delusion. It may be a strong delusion. We have a, you know, everybody talks about the whistleblower in uh, the government who supposedly was the whistleblower concerning a a conversation between the President of the United States and the President or Prime Minister, I don't know what his title is, in the Ukraine. And uh, that he says that everybody keeps talking this guy as a whistleblower. And then almost immediately, uh, this President Trump fellow released a transcript of the call, an independent transcript of the call. And when I read the transcript, I did not see any illicit activity. And uh, And so they've just gone through this huge debate in Congress and uh, it's not even really a debate because they don't let both sides have their say. They don't let both sides bring witnesses. They don't let both sides bring evidence. It's a one-sided deal, which is actually illegal by their own rules. By their rules, that's illegal. And But they continue, they, they actually said, I heard one guy saying openly in the hearing that when they have a hearing to discuss whether or not they want to keep the rules or not, <laughs> then they you can make motions concerning the rules. Well, wait a minute. It says you have to give both sides an opportunity. They don't want to do that because the whistleblower isn't a whistleblower. He's what you would call a psychophant. That's what he is. He's a psychophant. You know what a psychophant is? Well, uh, it comes from the Greek word psychophantio, uh, which has to do with not, you know, uh, false accusations. That's what a psychophant is. Somebody who's made false accusations because he's saying there was illicit activity 
and there wasn't. There, the letter doesn't show any. There is a. There is a. Uh, most people don't know these things because they don't do any study. They, they watch those few who watch the news. They watch with very little uh, homework on their own. And the media counts on you not having home. They just had an IG report come out, and the IG report came out, and uh, it it showed that the FBI actually created fraudulent information, depended upon false documents that uh, professed uh, false witnesses. I mean, they actually said that people were witness to things. That those people now have, they've gone back to them. They said, I, I never saw this. I never had any firsthand knowledge of this. I, this was a couple of guys talking in a bar. That should never have been appeared in to a report. But the guy who made this steel dossier, they call it a dossier. It, it's, it's the ravings of a psychophant. A guy who's false, making false accusations based on no evidence whatsoever. The FBI discovered that and continued to use the document. These these are criminal behavior by, and I shouldn't say the FBI, agents of the FBI. And then they falsified information when they brought it to court. Those are all criminal. I would go to jail if I did these things. <laughs> they do them, and people are considering whether or not they want to call them out on it. It's just uh, unbelievable. But then I watched some of the news, or at least clips from some of the news, of other stations like ABC and NBC and and uh, CNN. I mean, I could only watch so much. It was just so painful to watch these people lying. They have the IG report there, and they say there's nothing in this that was inappropriate. Clearly there is. Absolutely clearly there is. And they say, they put their hand... On the document, and they say, all you have to do is read it. They know the listeners, the ones they have left at CNN and ABC, aren't going to read it. I mean, they didn't even read the Social Security Act, and they signed up for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> they don't, and they don't even read the Bible for themselves. They want to go to a church, sit down, and have somebody tell them what it means. And not only that, interpret it for them. Yet the Bible says it's not given to private interpretation. It's given to revelation. Christ says he's going to build his church on revelation. Not by flesh and blood. Certainly not by private interpretation. And I don't want anybody to follow after Christ because they're following after me. No. I want you to awaken to the fact that you're not doing what Christ commanded us to do. And if you're not doing what Christ commanded us to do, you're not a follower of Christ. You're not a follower of the Word of Christ. The Word, and if Christ is God, then you're not a follower of the Word of God. You may be actually engaged in illicit activities, which Christ warns you about. It says, many will say they're following me, that they're coming in my name, but they're actually workers of iniquity. Another way of saying workers of iniquity is illicit activities. And one of those illicit activities is coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. That would be illicit behavior. If you think you're a follower of Christ, that would not be a follower of Christ. So, anyway, um, 
there were another number of other stories. We're going to have to get in the Corinthians so that we get at least to we're up in Second Corinthians uh, chapter twelve. And there's a reason why I'm going through some of these things. Uh, for instance, uh, there was a story that came out. The American College of uh, Pediatrics urges educators and legislators to reject all policies that condition children to accept as normal a life of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex. Now, I thought that was an interesting reference. In other words, somebody who says, I'm a girl, but they're actually a guy. They're a, they're a boy. And they want to compete in girl sports, women's sports. Young, I say girl because they're doing this to young girls, young teenagers. They're letting these guys go in and participate in this. And they're just impersonating a girl. Someone of the female gender. They're, imp- they're impersonators. They're, that would also make them imposters. They're not really girls, but they're impersonating a girl. They might be taking some hormone bar- blockers. Some of them might have had surgery, although many of them have not had surgery. And yet they're still claiming to be a girl. They're delusional. They're, they have a dysphoria about their sexuality. And therefore they have uh, established in their mind a delusion that they're a girl even though they're not a girl and vice versa, whether it's a girl thinking they're a boy. And I have a great sympathy for them. And I have great compassion for them. But one of the last things you're supposed to do, and it's been well accepted for many, many years and still accepted, is that you do not cater to somebody's delusion. You, you don't cater to it because then you're affirming the delusion. You don't have to beat them with the delusion or humiliate them or anything like that because of their delusion. But because that that will just actually reinforce it as well. But you don't have to reinforce it. And what people are doing, and this is the irrational behavior, is they're saying some boy who wants to think that he's a girl and impersonate a girl wants to go and change in the girl's locker room. Because he's uncomfortable in the boys' locker room. And they let him do that even though they make almost all the girls in the girl locker room who are real girls uncomfortable. And they get away with this because of the weakness and sloth of the people who don't stand up for truth. They don't want to confront the lie. Here I am. I'm confronting the lie. One of the lies is is that it's okay to take from your neighbor at the force of a gun or by the force of government to provide you with benefits, which would be classified in the Bible as the wages of unrighteousness. And yet, a vast, probably majority of people who call themselves Christians are engaged in that practice on a daily basis. Completely contrary to the teachings of Christ, the teachings of John the Baptist, even Jews to the teachings of Moses, Muslims to the teachings of Moses, and certainly to the teachings of Abraham. Remember, Abraham would not take even a buckle of the king's stuff. 
He wouldn't take any of that. He he wanted to set people free, and they did that in Iran. He set many souls free, and I'm sure that many of the people who had he had freed in, from the captors when they were captured from Sodom and Gomorrah, he set them free too. They were free to go back into bondage under the king of Sodom, or not. And uh, that's that's the theme of the Bible: is to set men free. The the movie Moses by Cecil B. DeMille, the second one. You know, the, he he's made more than one, for, for those of you who don't know these things. <laughs> and uh, the first one was epic for its day. But the one with Charlton Heston, he comes out at the beginning of the movie and he asks the question, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? This battle continues throughout the world today. This is the theme of the Bible. This is a little Jewish guy comes out and he's telling you the theme of the Bible. Christ came to set you free. You make yourself merchandise. You curse your children with debt and bondage and are again entangled in the yoke of bondage because you're engaged in the illicit activity of coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other. I don't know how I could say it any more clear. What comes of that behavior is what you're seeing unfolding daily in the news. If you want to change it, you cannot change it by force. You have to change it by repentance. You have to think a different way. And that's what we're showing you is the way of Christ. Another story that came up is uh, Virginia uh, Democrats are threatening to use the National Guard against sanctuary counties. What's a sanctuary county? They're passing a number of laws in Virginia and uh, that are going to be confiscating firearms from private citizens. L- lawful private citizens are now going to become unlawful private citizens because they own certain firearms that they thought they should have the right to buy. And, of course, the Constitution guarantees that the government doesn't have the right to infringe upon your right to have weapons, whether it's swords or guns or bows and arrows, whatever. That's your right to bear arms. Arms are all classifications of anything that might be considered a weapon. Theoretically, you own it for self-defense and for the defense of your neighbor, And if you use it in a criminal activity, like robbing your neighbor, then that would be a bad thing. But everybody has already accepted the idea that it's okay to take away from your neighbor with force of arms as long as the government controls those arms. So it was inevitable that eventually the government wants to take away arms from the private citizen because they're the only ones who want to have arms because they're in the arms business of forcing the contributions of the people. If the people had remained Christian, real Christians, not the fake Christian with the fake good news that is now being propagated in most churches, this issue would not have even come up. But now we have uh, Democratic Virginia Virginia Representative Jerry Connolly saying, I would hope that either, uh, well, actually, let's set this scene a little bit. So a sanctuary county is a county that is guaranteeing the Second Amendment, that you have the right to bear arms. And they're saying they will not enforce these unlawful 
uh, statutes that are being passed by the Virginia legislature. And of course, anybody who studies the law and studies history knows that according to the rule book, the same one that they don't abide by <laughs> in government, according to the rule book, that any law that violates the terms of the Constitution of the United States is null and void from its inception. But they're going around thinking that they can pass any law they want and it's not null and void from its inception, even though they know that it is infringement upon the right of the individual citizen to keep and bear arms. But anyway, he says, I would hope that either, meaning the sheriffs of the counties, resign in good conscience because they cannot uphold the law which they are sworn to uphold or they, they're, uh, prosecuted for failure to fulfill their oath. Well, their oath was also to uphold the Constitution. And so, I mean, sheriffs uh, have to take that oath all the time. And the Constitution says you shall not infringe. But the Virginia representative, Jerry Connolly, thinks he's above that law. And But people don't understand these things. They don't do any study. So it's very easy to throw out these irrational arguments and convince them that, oh, well, they're right. You know, the, this Virginia representative is right. He's, he goes on to say, the law is the law. Which, which great little quote. We've heard it many times. And, of course, <laughs> what they, you know, that's actually from a Latin idiom that has to do with, and it states not uh, the law is the law, but the legal system is the legal system. That's actually what it's saying. Uh, because it's using the, the word lex legis, which has to do with a legal system. They're not using the word jus juris. It has to do with the law itself. The law itself is the natural law, and the legal system is created within that natural law. They're not going to tell you all that. It goes over the head of most of you because you're uneducated, and they've seen to that, that you don't really understand what's going on. You don't know the meaning of words. They change the meaning of words. And so you you're you're already disarmed because you don't have right knowledge to know the truth. You you can't even rationalize the truth because you don't have sufficient information. This is why seventy percent of the millennials believes that socialism is good. They don't know what socialism is. And so now I come along and I'm going to be pointing out the whistleblower showing you what you have been told isn't so, isn't true. Are you going to have enough humility to see that what you were told is a lie? Are you going to have enough humility to set down the strong delusion, repent, which means to think a different way, or are you going to continue in the direction that you've been going because we can see where that's that's taking you. Uh, you go to places like Venezuela and a lot of other places and you can see this taking place. It's not just socialism, just like we talked last week about the sexual revolution, was a direct result of the introduction of socialist systems into your day-to-day activity, which means illicit activity because it's based on coveting your neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Anything that is thy neighbor's, including thy neighbor's wife. 
You're not supposed to desire to take any of these things away, even through legal means. And, of course, the legal means that you use depend upon contract. But that's another whole subject. We don't want to get too far off the subject here. If uh, He says, if that becomes the law, you don't have a choice. Not if you're a sworn officer of the law. It can't become the law if it violates the law that gives them the right to make the law. <laughs> and you would understand this if you understood the Constitution, which is why I wrote a whole book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, free online. You don't have to pay me a dime. I just give it away for free so that you can understand what and how the Constitution... The states, even after... The Constitution was enacted, were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. That's not the case anymore, but it was at that time. If And when you became a senator or a congressman of the United States, you were entering another jurisdiction and given certain rights and privileges limited by the Constitution. They can't make a law that infringes upon your right to bear arms. But... You can lose your right to bear arms. And that's another whole story. And we've written uh, four articles on that. Does a Christian have a right to self-defense? Well, a Christian does. But the question is, are you a real Christian? (laughs) See, if you're eating at the table of men who exercise authority one over the other, you're not doing what Christ said. If you're not setting the table of the Lord and putting on the wedding garments of the Lord by taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, you're not a real Christian. You're probably not a real Christian. You may have desire to be that way. Well, then you have to seek that way. How do you seek that way? Well, one is you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded and start the process of caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. Uh, I had a post with somebody who was, uh, you know, I actually don't know if I included that. I was going to write that out and share that with you. I don't see it. Maybe we'll do it in the, the afternoon show because I'll probably come back to some of this t- topic. The fact is there's a lot going on. You know, the whole issue of global warming, the science is settled. Bunk. <laughs> the science isn't settled. How many volcanoes are going off right now in the world? Nobody knows. Nobody knows how many volcanoes. They don't even know how many active volcanoes there are. We know there are some under the Antarctic ice. We know there's all kinds under the Arctic ice. For years, and and this is just me, you know, God's given me certain talents and certain abilities. also kept me from certain talents. I'm extremely dyslexic. But I also see patterns where other people don't see patterns. But then I can show them, look here, look here, look here. And I've looked at temperature maps of the ocean. You know, I used to sail the ocean and on a sailboat and all that kind of stuff. And I look at temperature maps because temperature in the ocean controls the currents. And I've seen hot spots up above the Aleutian Islands where there's hot water, warm water. There's... There's areas of the sea in the Atlantic, in the North Atlantic, that are boiling. (laughs) They actually tell ships, don't go there. The sea is boiling. Why? Volcanoes. That was another headline that came up this week, trying to create this hysteria about global warming, uh, saying that the ice 
in Greenland is melting faster than it did before. Which tells you nothing. You read the whole article, they don't tell you anything. Before what? Is it melting faster today than it was yesterday? Is it melting faster than... I mean, the ice is hundreds of feet thicker than it was at the beginning of last century. And there's volcanoes under the ice in Greenland. Uh, they're going off. I, there's at least 13 active ones, and there's even more. I mean, there's over... They just discovered 91 additional volcanoes in the Antarctic. So they're they're up to at least 138, and pe- maybe they're thinking 178. They don't know how many are going off. Under the ocean, we're talking thousands. Thousands. And they don't know where they all are. And almost none of them have been studied. They don't know what's going on with them. We know that on Jupiter, new storms are appearing that are coming up huge, gigantic whirlwind cyclones of gases are occurring on Jupiter. We we see that with the satellite now. What's causing that? Certainly not your SUV. (laughs) No, the science isn't settled. So I've added to our page on volcanoes, and you can go read that. So we, we look at this news to put, we're in... The context of this planet. And this planet is in the context of this solar system. And this solar system is in the context of this galaxy. And it's all in the context of creation. And most of your scientists today have very little knowledge of how it all works. God does. I don't. I do have more knowledge than some of the average bears out there. (laughs) But I certainly don't know it all. But anybody who goes around and says that it's settled, they're lying to you. And they're probably doing it for profit because that's what people do things for is profit. So when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to relate everything that we've talked about in some way or another to Second Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. And we're going to try to eventually today, sometime in one of our broadcasts, we will tie up uh, Second Corinthians, and then we can go on to other weightier matters. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to be looking at Second Corinthians uh, chapter twelve, and to set the scene a little bit, we have to understand that uh, uh, Paul is, is soliciting funds. He wants the people of Corinth to actually collect funds up to give to him to take to Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, they will be dispensed elsewhere within the network of the church to take care of the needy of society because there were problems. There were these waves or dearths and, and famines that were going on in the, the whole Roman Empire. Of course, the Christianity had already reached beyond the Roman Empire. And so when there was need, the church would rightly divide that bread so that, you know, other people would be taken care of. We saw the same situation arise with Peter uh, when they said the daily ministration, the welfare system of the church operating by faith, hope, and charity was to be neglected for the Greeks. The widows and orphans over there and the needy of that society were not being taken to even say widows and orphans is almost an idiom in itself. They're talking about the needy of society that the, these uh, difficulties 
in other countries were being neglected. And so they actually appointed seven men to help take care of it. If you don't know that the Old Testament tells you to also appoint seven men and what those men were doing, you might not understand what those seven men were doing. If you only read the English translation and depend upon modern ministers to figure out what they meant by weight on tables, then you may not understand what they were talking about. And of course, most people don't understand what they were talking about uh, because of the fact that they uh, they don't know what it meant. It, it, when they say wait on tables, that word table there is the same word for bank. And why did they appoint seven men? That tells you in the Old Testament, point seven men, even eight. Because you don't know what calamity, what catastrophe may come. Uh, and of course, these calamities and catastrophes were coming to the people in the Roman Empire and beyond. Uh, because famines and failure of crops and the global warming that had made everybody so successful was now beginning to diminish a little bit. There were volcanoes going off. There were earthquakes that were felt all over the Roman Empire. And so all these things together was requiring that Christians needed someone to help them. And they couldn't go to Caesar for help because Caesar was that father of the earth, that benefactor who exercised authority. And they were not to go to them. That was just a given in Christianity because he wasn't going to give you anything except what he took away from others. So Paul, right out of the box, when he starts working for Barnab- with Barnabas, he is taking funds around to help out these areas that were hard hit. Now, assumedly, everybody within Corinth was already taking care of the widows and orphans in Corinth. They were loving and being charitable, because same word charity, same word love, for those people taking care of all their social welfare needs in Corinth. But Christ said, it's not enough to love those who love you. you got to love people you don't even know. And this is where Paul comes in. He's going to be coming there, maybe, according to what he's already told us, with men from Macedonia who are doing the same thing. They've taken up a collection of Macedonia and they're taking it to Jerusalem as well. And and now he says, if you guys have guys that want to take a donation to uh, Jerusalem, they can go with us. You know, there's protection in numbers and we will go together. He says, my even coming to here, I had to take money from other churches to pay for my way here. I was not a burden for you when I came here. And he says, if I had been a burden, you guys, because I would have taken money from what you gave me, supplies from what you gave me to give to others, I would have taken from for my own use, you guys would have been the least contributors of all the people that I'm dealing with. Except for the fact that I didn't put myself a burden to you. Maybe they weren't as big a church as they was, because he was coming from not only Macedonia, but all of Acacia. So anyway, if you don't understand the context of what they're doing, you might think you're saved because you say you love Jesus. But you don't love the way of Jesus. You don't follow the way of Jesus 
You just like to boast about the fact that you saved yourself by what you said and what you say you think about God. But that's not religion. Religion is the performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. And uh, so anyway, in this particular quote, we see uh, the first part of Corinthians. We see a word vision, which appears about four times in, in the New Testament. But it's not always the same word. There are other words that are similar to that. They all come from the word meaning to see something, but they're not all the same. But when he's talking about expedient for me, doubtless to glory. Glory, again, is taking the credit. He says I shouldn't be taking the credit. And and we talked about this briefly in the last show, is that, that Paul finds himself boasting, saying, you know, I've done all these things. I've uh, taken care of all, you know, uh, suffered all these being beaten and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm boasting of me. He's trying to say, you know, this isn't easy. Life is hard. You know, but it's, I, I'm okay with it. But I want you to know what's going on, that people are struggling. Because he wants to see them give because it's important that they give for the needy of others, other than just those they love, because then the grace of God will come to you in greater abundance. It doesn't mean you're going to get a new car. It's not prosperity gospel. It's just you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're supposed to be laying down your life daily like Christ. You're supposed to be coming in the name of Christ. That's what he did. So that's what you should be doing. And that's true Christianity. But the modern Christian isn't taking care of the social welfare needs. He's sending them to sending their congregants to Caesar. They're just using their congregational meeting to tickle your ears and to make you think everything's okay. And we just talked about all the things going on in the news. It's not okay. We have millions upon millions of people in irrational behavior willing to take away the rights I just read an article just also seconds before I came on <laughs> about somebody passing, uh, I can't remember, is, is it 277B or 227B or whatever it is in California, about forced vaccinations. And it's torn his family apart. He himself is a pharmacist, evidently was before he became a congressman in California. And he may still be, for all I know. But... He now has relatives that were injured by the MMR vaccine and now they are diagnosed autistic. And they constantly, just like climate denier, they call you a climate denier if you say that maybe autism is related to all the vaccinations that people are taking. Uh, and there is a great deal of evidence that there is. But they don't want to look at that evidence because they want to believe that the vaccine is their salvation. It will save them. And it, it will not. As a matter of fact, you go, don't get lifetime immunity from vaccines. Vaccines did not cure polio. Vaccines don't cure anything. They may stimulate part of your immune system, but they may also weaken part of your immune system. And they have a lot of other toxins in there, which you can read on the, on the foldouts and the leaflets if you're really good at reading tiny, tiny little print. Now, we have a whole article on vaccines, but he's... His family is being torn because he's seen it hit him. Of course, there's thousands of people that have. If you want to look at the facts, you're going to start to question 
is vaccine, should they be forced on everybody? And actually, if you start forcing them on everyone, you will guarantee, I will guarantee that you will create a plague. That, that's what you will have. And I'll explain that another time. Let's keep going through Corinthians so that you finally get to understand what Paul's talking about. Because he says, it is not expedient for me to doubtless, to glory, to take the credit. I will come to visions and revelation of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ, this is what he's coming to, uh, about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. So it's it's almost irrelevant to his story, but he's mentioning this. Such and one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. <laughs> so you see that stated there very clearly. How that he was caught up unto paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Well, we'd have to look into that word lawful. It's not necessarily illegal, <laughs> but it is not natural. Let's put it that way. Of such and one will I glory. So he's now giving credit to this person. Yet, of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Now, is he talking about Christ? Is that who he's talking about? Who appeared to him on the road to Damascus? When it knocked him off his high horse? Uh, well, anyway, he says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be. So he doesn't want you putting him up on a pedestal. Or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. There was given to me a throne. In the flesh. In other words, a physician. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient. So he's got some sort of difficulty. I have difficulties. I don't walk on water. I see some things that other people don't see. There are other things I have a great deal of difficulty with. Keeps me humble. Good thing. That's what Paul's talking about. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But it didn't. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We all have infirmities. We all have shortcomings. And we need to consider those shortcomings a blessing. Whether if They may be just to keep us humble. They may be to put us in a, another place. Whatever. That there, we have to accept that there is a divine presence in creation that is working behind the scenes. Somebody uh, was brought up, somebody we knew, the 
was local and I mean we've we've saved his life more than once but uh, uh, he was all broke up because somebody who was a neighbor here was driving to town years ago and ran off the road and hit a tree and he was upset that God took her and not him and I said well maybe God didn't take her maybe she just drove off the road and hit a tree God's not he's not doing everything we're doing it we're we're trying to blame everything that's bad on God. No, most of the things that are bad is us. Because we're not listening to God. We're not following God. We're not following the ways of God, which we saw in all these news stories. They wouldn't be doing this if they hadn't done that. We wouldn't be becoming perfect savages if we hadn't started these covetous practices of taking from our neighbor. We've, we're going down the road to Rome and Caesar and Pharaoh and Nimrod. If you want to go another way, you have to turn around, think differently, and go that other way. God will make up the difference, but you've got to be going in that direction. Most of the church ministers I know of out there in the world are not leading the people in the ways of Christ. They're not making straight the way of the Lord. They're not even talking about the way of the Lord. They think their salvation is to elect a king. Yet Samuel 8 tells you that no. (laughs) You do this. You go this way. He's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I'm not going to hear you. And people say, oh, we just elected the wrong king. We got to get the right king. No. You need to turn around your thinking and start taking back your responsibilities and stop trying to dump them on some poor king. So he goes on to say, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress of Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, it's, that's true if you accept your weakness, you accept your, accept your failings and try to rise above them to still do what Christ said, which was to seek the kingdom of God and what? Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How is it righteous to take from your neighbor through the force of governments that exercise authority one over the other? How is it righteous to covet your neighbor's goods through socialism? How is that right? You can't even tell your kids that's not right. That's why 70% of the millennials think this way. Because you sent them to public school, which is socialism. It's in the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto. You tax your neighbors so that you can have the school and have the school bus and have and, and have the games and and have the treats. You think that's okay, and you think you can do it without being changed. Not so. You will be changed. The same is that if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start to try to take care of one another in righteousness, you will also be changed. And you just have to start. You have to be diligent. You have to be long-suffering because that's what love's all about. But that's the direction your ministers are supposed to be taking you. He goes in chapter, uh, in verse 11. Still in chapter 12. I am become a fool 
in glorying, ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing. So he's kind of contradicting himself. It's a paradox. Because he who is to be highest amongst us, according to Christ, is to be as the younger. And that's what Paul is repeating. Because Paul preached Christ first. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? In other words, your contributions would be inferior to all the other churches, except I didn't take anything out of your contributions. I depended upon other church. Forgive me this wrong. He's saying that I should be a burden to you because as a, not, not unnecessarily a burden, but I should, you should care for me. I've done all these things for you and for all the others. You need to do that because you need to be like Christ. Who took on the sins of the world. You need to be taking on the sins of those people around you. And their difficulties. And help them up out of their difficulties. And not just those that are around you. Because you can't just love those who love you. But others in this vast network of churches. I mean anybody who tells you that the church was not a network. Hasn't read the Bible. Or they're delusional. They haven't seen what it says in there. And they need to turn around and go the other way. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, I don't want your stuff, but you. I want you for what? To do the will of Christ. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And But unfortunately, what's happened today in the world is the parents have cursed their children by laying up debt. They haven't kept the Sabbath, which has nothing to do with Saturday. They have kept, they have borrowed money against the future. They have enjoyed the money they would have earned tomorrow, today, by taking benefits by way of borrowed money, and therefore cursing their children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. He'll suffer all this stuff for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He's going to keep loving you. We're supposed to love our enemy. So I I I agree with Paul on what he's saying. This is this is the approach that I'm making. But be it so, I did not burden you, nevertheless. Being crafty, I I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus that with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked 
we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. But we do all things dearly beloved for you edifying. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. In other words, he's worried that you're going to be doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing (laughs) and not doing the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. That's where I'm at with you. You're not taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. You take care of most of the needy in your congregations, in your churches, through men who exercise authority, who take away from your neighbor, that make a habit of taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. Is there any wonder that Virginia is passing laws to take guns away from their people, the people who are citizens of Virginia? Where they have become accustomed to taking stuff away from their neighbors for their benefit. And there, you have to admit that they're in the business of going to your neighbors to force your neighbors to contribute to your wages of unrighteousness and they don't want your neighbors armed when they get there. <laughs> they want to be able to take it away with impunity. It's, it's going to lead to disaster. But they they have never cared about that one way or the other. So he's not making excuses. He dearly beloved for your edifying, we we're doing all this. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would, that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Lest there be debates, envies Wraths, strifes, backbiting, whispering, swelling, tumults. What he's mentioned many of these things before, talking about people who have no inheritance in the kingdom of God because of what they're doing. That we should turn them away because of what they're doing. Unless when I come again, my God will humbly, humble me among you. And that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and the fornication and the lasciviousness which they have committed. Lasciviousness, desired benefits at the expense of their neighbor and willing to obtain those benefits by the rule of force. That's where the modern Christian has gone. And that's why the world is in this corrupt state. Where even, you know, we talk about a lot of the stuff going on because the Democrats control the Congress and they're, they're doing a lot of bad things and lying and, and trying to cover up the fact that, uh, uh, that certain FBI agents lied and changed evidence and did all these things. But, If the Republicans were in power, it might not be a lot different. But what we need to do is empower Christ by actually doing what Christ said. And then that will allow the Holy Spirit to enter into us. And then we will begin to see that which we did not see before. 
But we haven't been going the way of Christ. We've been going the way of Caesar, the way of Nimrod, the way of Cain, the way of force. John the Baptist would not go that way. He was saying, repent, make straight the way of the Lord, and the way of the Lord is charity. And if you did that, you would take, see, that's why you have mothers force, have, have twins and they want to change one to a girl. Force it at a small age of five or seven to start becoming a girl. That's child abuse. And that's what that report, uh, from the, the, uh, that medical organization was saying that this, that it amounts to child abuse to do this. To condemn them to this life of chemical and surgical change. It is destructive for that child. And I could give you examples all over the place. We need to be tending to the weightier matters. And we need to come together as a network to do it. There's a lot more to it. But uh, we'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. So be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we actually got through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and now we're up to chapter 13. And so we could maybe get to that before the end of today's broadcast. <laughs> and I'll have to think of another topic this afternoon, which is often the way that things work around here. We, uh, you know, I I mentioned Coach Dave a couple of times, and I added to his page, I've added more to our page on trauma, if you want to go there, preparing you. I uh, put the audios that we made some time ago there. I saw in our article with Dave, maybe that's what we'll talk about this afternoon, where we, he was talking about the fact that uh, that uh, we're not supposed to hate the sinner. We're supposed to hate the sin. And he went on to say in his article that nowhere does it say that in the Bible. Actually, it kind of does. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, I give you reference here shortly to the Nicolaitan, where he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitan. It doesn't say he hates the Nicolaitan. He would not have sent his only begotten son that they might be saved, that he might save the world who were all Nicolaitans just about at that time, except for a few people like John the Baptist and maybe... Maybe some of the apostles who had not become Nicolaitans, but who had not yet learned the the righteousness of the gospel. Because unless you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, laying down your life daily for the welfare of others, you're not really coming in the name of Christ. So anyway, that's a mention, but... Uh, Let's go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and see what it has to say because it does talk about reprobates. And we probably need to understand about reprobates and and what a reprobate is. And so, you know, you can think about that as we're going through the verses because he's going to bring that up. And what's the definition? I do this constantly is where I will... See a word that I thought I knew, and I will not be slothful. I'll actually look up the word to see what the definition of that word actually is. A reprobate, by some definitions, is an unprincipled person, often used uh, 
humorously or even affectionately because of sarcasm. So what is this unprincipled person? He's he's because he's going to be mentioning that. But anyway, let's go ahead and read the first. Start with the first verse of this chapter. This is the third time I have come to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which therefore have sinned and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. Because remember, Second Corinthians is mostly Paul light. But he says, I will not spare. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. In other words, he wants you to be looking for proof, like the Bereans. You know, you should challenge. You should try to find out if what I'm saying. But I don't want you, one of the things to tell you that I'm, I'm coming in the name of Christ is I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow the Spirit of God in you. But I want you to make sure that it is the Spirit of God in you. And I'm giving you evidence to question this. And people say, well, you're making us question our faith. Well, should you question your faith? Is that, is, does anybody else tell you to do that? Well, let's read on. <laughs> For though he was crucified, referring to Christ, through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. Now, was Christ really weak? Actually, it took a lot of strength, but it all depends on what you call strength and, and weakness. Uh, for we also, are weak in him. In other words, we're humble in him. But we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And we're, we're, we're serving God by coming here and serving you. Because we're trying to fulfill that duty to God and our fellow man. By taking care of the needy of, and the needs of our fellow man through faith, hope, and charity. Rather than force, fear, and violence, which is the way most modern Christians have it accomplished because they depend on men who exercise authority and borrow money against the future of their children to provide them with benefits today. And that is a lascivious practice. That is a covetous practice that is being their undoing. That is why they see the mess they see in the world. So in verse 5 he says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? So Christ is not going to be in you if you're reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. So the question is, are you reprobates? Are you operating according to the principles of Christ? Or are you without the principles of Christ? Verse 7. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil. Which would mean no covetous practices. That we should appear approved. But that ye should do that which is honest. No bearing false witness. You want to see the whole truth. You want to look and see the whole truth. You're not going to... Tell yourself a lie. Though we be as reprobates, 
For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak. We are strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. You're supposed to be perfected in Christ, in the ways of Christ. The modern church has led you away from the ways of Christ, certainly away from the ways of righteousness, because they got everybody coveting their neighbor's goods to obtain benefits at the expense of their neighbors through men who exercise authority one over the other, again, diametrically opposed to the teachings and doctrines of Christ. Boy, that's a blow. You know, I didn't... You know, it's like you see in the movies where somebody gets killed and... Somebody has to come and break the news that your dad just died. You know, he was run over by a train and everything. And so I, I've got bad news. I don't know how to tell you. Maybe you want to sit down. And they go on and on and on. Tell them. <laughs> you're, you know, you're creating worse by dragging this out. Okay, I understand you got to forewarn them, but don't take so long. And get, so I'm not taking long. You're not doing what Christ said. Write it down. Let's do something about it. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. You want to save the nation? You want to make America great again? Start doing what Christ said. Take a look at your faith and tell me, is your faith principled? Are you practicing pure religion? Are you taking care of the needy of your society unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government? Because that's what that word world means. Are you depending upon the men who exercise force? Well, 99% of you probably are. Maybe I could say 90% and be generous. But most everybody depends upon them somehow. And you have to admit that that is wrong because it is a covetous practice. And it has made you merchandise. And it has cursed your children with debt. So, But now that's the good news. You can do something about that. If you will have the communion of Christ and rightly divide the bread from house to house through charity. Verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Don't be sending guys to your neighbor's house to take away his money so that you can have free education, free health care, free social security. Somebody else can take care of your parents. Don't be doing that because what will happen is he'll come to your door and take away your guns and your right to protect yourself. And he'll eventually come to your door and take away your food and your food stocks and you will starve like the people starved in the Ukraine under the Soviet Union by the millions. That's why, you know, they millions died off over the years through the abuse of men who exercised authority one over the other because they take and take and take and take. You created those offices. Now create the offices of Christ. By gathering together, pick a minister. He gets together with nine other ministers. He picks a minister. And you start learning what it means to have a daily ministration based on love rather than force. So, be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. 
If you choose to continue with the covetous practices and the habit of taking things away from your neighbor at the force and the exercising force of men who exercise that force, the God of love and peace shall not be with you. And when you cry out, he will not hear you. And the men you put your faith in for your salvation will continue to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. What does that mean? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, I'll leave it to your imagination. But it, he, he's speaking in metaphors there. All the saints salute you. That's all the people of his holy church who are, are, are not a part of the world. There's not very many of us. <laughs> there needs to be more. But we need people who want to make that commitment. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The communion of the Holy Ghost will come when there is a communion of the saints and the people to love one another. I always think it's funny when people talk about the LGBT whatever, whatever community. There is no community. A community is a com- is a group of people that ha- share a common communion. They take care of one another. Most of what I see in these other communities, they're actually going to the government to take care of one another, and that go- they're they're a part of that community, the community of force and fear and violence, which is why you see all this violence. Coming out of the left now, you know they, they even the left is saying that you know, the Antifa people have hijacked liberalism. They turned it into something completely different. They, they've gone another way. We're to do no evil. It is evil to covet thy neighbor's goods. You have no communion unless you're rightly dividing the bread from house to house, and I mean all the bread of your church you can't get by with token communion and try to tell me that you're following christ if you want to be a proselyte a proselyte a a disciple of christ if you want to move in that direction join the network go to preparing you go to hisholychurch.org join the network find a congregation gather in that congregation pick ministers they're just servants They're not rulers. The world wants you to pick rulers. We want you to pick servants. Find the best servant of servant of servants. You're expecting to put your pastors on pedestals. Paul does not want that. I do not want that. No minister of Christ wants you to put them on a pedestal. So, when you say, well, he doesn't look good up on the pedestal I put him on, that's because you're not supposed to put him on a pedestal. You're supposed to give him the opportunity of serving. And he probably is not going to be very good at it at first because everybody's out of practice of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But what's the other thing besides giving that you need to do? Isn't it forgiving? And how can you forgive and give unless you come together? Do not forsake the coming together. Gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That word reprobate. Adokimos in the, in the Greek. 
It's defined as not standing the test. Not approved. What's the test? Will you live by faith, hope, and charity? Or force, fear, and violence? If you're living by force, fear, and violence to men who exercise authority and you've become accustomed to that, you failed the test. But the good news is the test is not over. You have time to repent, turn around and go the other way. You know, it, it, that particular word is translated reprobate six times. It's translated cast away once. It, it really means kind of reprobate, who may be cast away, but it's deceptive, I think, to translate it cast away. Rejected once. It appears eight times in the Bible in that particular form, but again, remember, it's from other words. You know, it's it's from the word, uh, let's see, what is that? would be, uh, it's adokimos, is it kimos? Uh, dokimos. Accepted particularly, um, you know, things that are acceptable. Acceptable and pleasing. But adokimos is the negative. Not acceptable. Not pleasing. It is not pleasing to God to have you coveting your neighbor's goods. It is not pleasing to God to have you making covenants with men who exercise authority in order to get their privilege of the benefits. You're not to make contracts with them. You're you're not to be, you know, we talked about earlier about people have sworn oaths to uphold the Constitution. Well, keep your word. If you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. If if you have agreed to the Constitution, keep the terms of that Constitution. What we see now is government not keeping the terms. This is why I was interested in this Oregon Article 2, Section 22. And I would like to see people moving upon that, even though they're out there in the system. I'm preaching another government entirely. But what I am preaching is to learn to keep your word. Don't bear false witness. Don't say that you're an Oregonian, a voter, a a congressman of Oregon, and be violating the terms of the rules that you've laid down for yourself. How will you be able to be keeping the rules of Christ and the rules of God if you won't even keep the rules of your own selves? If you are not righteous in the unrighteous mammon, faithful in the unrighteous mammon, why would we expect you to be faithful in the righteous mammon? So you have to, in order to learn the ways of Christ, you have to learn the ways of righteousness. And if you have taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, uphold it. If you've taken an oath to uphold the Oregon Constitution, uphold it. Because what happens when you begin to honor your own word, then you become more fit to honor the word of God. Right now, through your system of Corbin, you're making the word of God to none effect. You need to repent of that. But in order to repent of that, we need to put in place the system, the Corbin of Christ. We need to set the table of the Lord to take care of one another. It's that simple. So we've gone through Corinthians, join the network, if you want us to look at another book, and we've looked at a number of other epistles, and we have recordings up on them and studies on them, but if you want us to look at some particular thing, join the network and tell me there. Communicate with me there. Pick a minister, and that minister calls me every week, and then I communicate with him. 
I find myself often communicating with people who won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I find myself communicating with people who won't communicate with their minister. Now, I will be there if their minister can't handle something, but I would like to see them going through their minister because he learns by that process. That's why Christ knew it was so important that he actually commanded them to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, in ranks of ten, in ranks of fifty, ranks of a hundred, ranks of a thousand. Because you're going to need that in your quest for the straight ways of righteousness. Because that's the way we need to go. We need to, and that's different than what we've been doing. So we need to be this, you know, the, what, again, going back to the word reprobate, that which does not prove itself such as it ought to. And the modern Christian who is depending on men who exercise authority to, to unrightly divide their bread from house to house had the discussion the other night, you know, stoning in the Old Testament. And we show you in in the books. We've got it written out. If we're wrong, you should be able to go there and say, oh, no, this word doesn't mean that. No, this word doesn't mean that. We show you what they tell you the words mean. And an altar of stone, the same as an altar of clay, is a gathering of men. The altar of stone is the gathering of the saints. The altar of clay is the gathering of the people. Both have a place in the kingdom of God. The altars of stone were called a gathering of friends. And you put your sacrifice on them, just as you see Paul doing with the Corinthians and the, the Acacians and the, and the Macedonians and the Ephesians. They would give him funds. These are not the funds they take care of one another in their own church, in their own congregations, the local congregations. This is the surplus that they're sending to take care of areas that were harder hit and can't take care of themselves. And we go full circle now all the way back to India. When they had the famine, they had enough food in the country to feed everybody. But they didn't have a system by which to do it. Same thing goes on in Libya. Libyans, we don't get to see it because we don't have any reporters there. They have suffered immensely under this revolution of Hillary Clinton and uh, the the world powers that wanted to take down Gaddafi because he wanted to introduce the gold denarii in Africa. And it was starting to become a success. They couldn't have that. That would bankrupt everybody because we find out that the king has no clothes. Another long story. But anyway, those people have suffered immensely. Most of you, you haven't even read the laws in your own country. I went and read the Green Book <laughs> by, uh, by Gaddafi and had a lot of good ideas, but it was very democratic. But the kingdom of God is not a democracy. Kingdom of God, if it's anything, it's a republic. It's God is the ruler. And the people are taking back their responsibilities in a network of free assemblies through faith, hope, and charity as opposed to force, fear, and violence. If you're not doing that, you know, like Paul says, you know, check your faith. You know, examine. Examine yourselves. If you're not doing it, are you living by faith, hope, and charity? 
Now, you want to think, oh, no, I'm saved because I accepted Jesus. Did you accept the real Jesus? Because the real Jesus told the people to do this, live by faith, open charity. You're not living by faith, open charity. You're living by force, fear, and violence. Then you have proved yourself not a Christian. You have proved yourself an actual worker of iniquity. Or at least lawful in the ways of Christ. Because you have now gone under tribute. And the rulers that you have put over you to take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits will continue to take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, God will not hear you. Read Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8. That's where you're going. You want to change? Then hear the good news. There is a way to change. Join the network. I'm not going to tell you everything on these radio broadcasts that you may eventually need to know. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will reveal a great deal to you. But there's a great deal more to understand about the kingdom. But the kingdom is simple. Righteousness is simple. You just have to turn around and go the way of righteousness. Which is the way of Christ. In order to do that, you have to do what he said. Certainly have to do what he commanded. So... That's pretty much it. <laughs> I hope everybody writes it down. Uh, because with that communion with one another, then the Holy Ghost can find a place to enter into you and awaken you to even greater and greater things and can put a power of God in you that you may need not to save yourself because that's not what Christ came to do. He came to save others. But though he was crucified, was raised up. You want to be raised up? Go the way of Christ and stop doing evil and start seeking righteousness in everything that you do so that you may inherit the kingdom of God. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.